Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Casey Chalk. He is the contributing editor at the new Oxford Review, a senior contributor for The Federalist, and a frequent contributor to the American Conservative and Crisis Magazine. And today we're going to talk about his latest book called The Persecuted. Casey, thanks for joining us today. Deacon Jeff, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, I know you were on before. We were talking about it before uh, we started the interview. And I can't believe it's been two years when we started talking about the woke culture, which is the woke cancel culture that has just done nothing but pick up steam over two years. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a little unfortunate and scary to think about. Uh, yeah, how quickly things have changed. Uh, yeah, culturally and politically, just in a couple of years. Well, I'll tell you what. This this book, the persecuted, that talks about persecuted Christians. I mean, it's it really is uh, an interesting read. I think we kind of know it intuitively, but when you hear the gory details of not only what happens to people, but the bureaucracy when they're trying to get out and get the help. It really is kind of scary, isn't it? Yes, uh, I, I think your description is is definitely accurate. In the case of my own life, I had known about the persecution of the church uh, even when I was an evangelical as a high schooler. My my evangelical church did uh, various programs on it in like a certain time of the year where they would focus on certain cases around the world. Uh, but it's another thing to be face to face with those um heroes really i mean some i mean and uh and some of them have unfortunately become martyrs um who you know are suffering for their faith in muslim countries like pakistan um so yeah it definitely it was a game changer for me to be face to face with a lot of these remarkable people yeah because you know you hear about it right we hear about priests and religious getting kidnapped in africa we know what goes on in the middle east and i think a lot of times when people think of the middle east they're thinking of Iran and, you know, Syria and places like that. They they tend to forget about Pakistan, but Pakistan is really a bad place, isn't it, if you're trying to be a, live a Christian lifestyle? Oh, yeah, definitely. Pakistan is one of the worst in the world, in part because of its draconian blasphemy law that um, has been in effect for decades now. And uh, it basically makes it a crime to say anything uh, negative about Muhammad or the Quran or the Muslim faith. And it's used as a tool, uh, certainly by Muslim extremists, to target, harass, and, uh, and persecute Christian, uh, minority Christian communities. Um, and in, listeners may be familiar with the most famous case in the last decade regarding the blasphemy law, which is uh, Asia Bibi, this woman in rural Pakistan who was accused of blasphemy. Um, by some people in her community that didn't like her and didn't like her outspoken uh, articulation of the Christian faith. And she was actually sentenced to death. Uh, and it, it took, you know, a lot of international outrage, including uh, some wonderful remarks from uh, Pope Benedict XVI Emeritus, who, uh, you know, came to her defense uh, in order to get her out of Pakistan and uh, repatriated to Canada. Well, you know, it's unfortunate we don't have enough voices. I mean, and it's not only Christians, right? You can read about, you know, the million Uyghurs who are Muslim, who are being uh, in, you know, re-education camps and and treated terribly in China, right? We even have the Catholic Church does, you know, a deal with China that basically throws the Christians under the bus there. So it's really across the board, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I, every uh, yeah, every continent that has, I guess, except for Antarctica, right, has 
stories that can be told about uh, the suffering of persecuted uh, Christian um, communities. Uh, yeah, I mean, even in North America, right, we're seeing uh, intensified pressure against Christians. I think we saw that during COVID with the um, sort of the unjust uh, and uh, in immoral ways that uh, various states came after various churches. And that, yeah, I mean, thank God that we do have some great advocates on our behalf in the church, like uh, Archbishop Corleone in San Francisco, who uh, you know, have really put up a fight to, uh, you know, to to argue that, hey, you know, if uh, if casinos can operate at large capacities, uh, I think uh, Catholics should be able to go to mass too, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, we, you know it's just been in the news lately, right, that uh, Secretary of uh, HHS uh, Becerra is looking at, you know, going back on some of the things that got passed in the last administration to put further pressure on people, especially in the medical field, if they want to live out their faith. So there really are attacks here, but nothing like what you saw. And you you actually met several of these people and got to know them and know their intimate stories, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I spent three years living in Bangkok, Thailand. Listeners may you know, <laughs> immediately be surprised. Well, what does Bangkok, Thailand have to do with persecuted Christians in Pakistan? So Thailand, about 20% of its economy is based on tourism. What that means is that they make it really easy for people to come into the country on a tourist visa. So you can show up from pretty much anywhere in the world and they will give you a 30-day visa. So um, Pakistani Christians have heard about this. A lot of human traffickers know about this. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll tell you know, disenfranchised and impoverished people in different parts of the world, hey, you should go to Thailand, we can help you out. So a lot of Pakistani Christians basically spend their life savings to get on a plane and fly to Thailand uh, where they can get you know, immediate refuge. They're not being uh, harassed and antagonized and physically assaulted on a daily basis like they would be in places like Pakistan. But then, of course, they encounter new problems because the Thais don't want them in their country. Um, and so the Thai authorities then start to hound them and throw them in detention centers. Uh, it's a pretty bad deal for them. There is some hope um, for Christians that, that flee to Thailand because there's a large UN office, the UNHCR, UN High Commissioner for Refugees, which does uh, process asylum seekers uh, who are interested in trying to get refugee status. And if you have refugee status, you can then get placed in a third country like the United States, Canada, the Netherlands, the UK, um, and start afresh. Uh, the problem is, is that um, most of the people that apply for refugee status in Bangkok, and frankly, all, all the other places where they can do so, they're rejected. Um, and even if you are one of the lucky few or blessed few that do get refugee status, um, only about one to two percent of refugees internationally are actually uh, placed in a country on an annual basis, right? So even if you're a refugee in Thailand um, and just sort of waiting your turn, you could be there, you know, 10, 15 years before you're able to finally move your family and, and start a new life. Well, and, I, and you mentioned in the book, right, there's thousands of asylum seekers in Thailand from Pakistan. So it's not like we're talking a couple hundred here. We're talking thousands of people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it truly is a humanitarian crisis. Um, many Catholics, many evangelicals as well. And uh, I mean, if you're a Christian living in um, Bangkok, it's very hard to ignore it because they descend upon the churches on Saturday nights and Sundays during religious services. Um, and that's how we got to know uh, a number of different families, um, two in particular that I spend a lot of time talking about in my book, The Persecuted, uh, the D'Souza's and Wilson, uh, or Will Williams, uh, Wilson William. Remarkable families. Uh, the the things that they suffered in Pakistan um, uh, by remaining faithful to to Christ and His Church 
Um, I mean, they, they were, uh, I mean, inspiring stories. Um, Michael D'Souza, for example, uh, who's very outspoken in, um, in, in his faith, uh, was was antagonized and, and hounded for years by Muslim extremists. A lot of guys who are associated with the Taliban and have come into big uh, Pakistani cities like Karachi. Um, and uh, I mean, he was physically assaulted a number of occasions. Uh, they threatened to uh, abduct his wife and children and marry them off to Muslim men. That actually happened to his wife's sister. She she really was abducted and uh, and married off to a Muslim man. And when he reported it to the Pakistani police in Karachi, and they heard out they heard that it was uh, you know Muslim extremists, the Taliban guys that had done it. They just ripped the police report up and said, we're not going to look into this because the police, too, are terrified of, um, of these Taliban extremists. You know, it really is. It, it was fascinating reading uh, and, and almost like like watching a car crash live. It's, it wasn't fun to watch, but it was you're reading and, you're, you know, these people are getting beaten. I mean, severely beaten, you know, put in the hospital, takes months to recuperate. Uh, you know, they're just hounded every minute of their lives when they live in these countries. And it really does remind us how soft we are, right? We're afraid to speak up for our faith because we might get canceled or we might have a problem with our employment. I mean, what we experience here, they'd be laughing at us in Pakistan. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it, it is a very sad story. The Christian community in Pakistan is very ancient. I mean, we're talking like going back to the 6th, 7th century, um, even though there, there were certainly a lot more converts when uh, the British controlled the Indian subcontinent. Uh, but yeah, these Christians have been there for a long time, and they've suffered through this uh, with increasing pressure. Um, I think that's something that is also very sad about the history of Pakistan is, uh, you know, on the on the front cover of my book, The Persecuted, there's a flag of Pakistan, um, and green is the color of Islam that's on the flag, but the white bar is supposed to represent um, minority, religious minority communities like Christians and Hindus and whatnot. But the Pakistani uh, state um, has just inc- increasingly um, put the pressure on these Christians so that, like you said, I mean, certainly um, a lot of them are poor and they don't have the kinds of um, professional opportunities that we do in the West. But uh, the, the coercion to convert to Islam is soft and hard, as demonstrated by a lot of these religious extremists who you know, are putting guns to people's heads um, and oftentimes killing them. Right. Uh, there have been so many stories within the last 20 or 30 years of um, Muslim extremists attacking Christians in Pakistan. Several years ago, there was a major attack on Easter at Christians picnicking uh, in the big city of Lahore. And uh, I think about 72 Christians were killed that day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're talking life and death um, for uh, for persecuted Christians in Pakistan and elsewhere. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, you also talk about in the book just this the huge bureaucracy of trying to get somebody out, especially here in the United States. I mean, you go into uh, great detail talking about, you know, you're calling up uh, Congress people, you're having your in-laws call them up. I mean, everybody's calling up Congress people, but the red tape and the, yeah, we're going to get to it. Geez, that must've just driven you nuts. Yeah. And there were a lot of times where we thought we were on the cusp of potentially getting some of these families or at least some of the family members out of Thailand or out of Pakistan. I've written a lot of articles on this subject over the last, gosh, how many, five, six years. Um, and, we, and we've gotten the attention of um, a number of congressmen, um, particularly Chris Smith from New Jersey. God bless him, a, a devout Catholic um, who do, has done a lot. He's very outspoken, has done a lot of good um, for the church, both in the United States and, uh, and around the world. 
Um, but even having him be on a congressional subcommittee where they were talking about this and him um, explicitly reading a lot of the details from my articles regarding Michael D'Souza's story, um, even that has not been enough to, uh, you know, to get enough um, federal interest to, to save some of these, uh, these people and get them out of, um, yeah, out of, out of the hell that they experience on a daily basis. So you're right. There is a lot of bureaucratic red tape. That's one of the main reasons I wrote this book is to educate and inform, um, certainly, you know, your listeners and, you know, Lord willing, the many thousands of people that will read the book, but also because I want to get this text into the hands of people, um, in positions of uh, political authority and power. I want the, I want people in the UN to read it. I want congressmen and senators to read it um, so that they recognize that this really is an international uh, humanitarian crisis that deserves our attention. Which is kind of ironic, right? Because we currently live in a situation where we have open borders, right? People are streaming through right and left criminals. Who knows who they are, right? I mean, I know uh, I have a son at one of the military bases. There's thousands of the of people stream across the border that they're housing at these military bases. Yet, for people who are persecuted, we're like, yeah, you can't come in. Yeah, that certainly has been very discouraging for me. And I certainly, I don't want to, um, you know, I understand a lot of the folks that are coming up from Latin America. Their stories are, are very terrible as well. There's a lot of economic impoverishment. A lot of, you know, countries like El Salvador have huge gang problems. If I, if I lived in El Salvador, I'd be trying to get the heck out of there if I could as well. But yeah, I mean, countries need immigration laws and they need to be able to protect and secure their borders. And, you know, to allow anybody um, to just, you know, come over and start a new life illegally. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a bit of an insult to the people who actually went through the process legally um, and, and certainly an insult to the people who, uh, you know, whose lives are in danger halfway around the world who, uh, who you know, who are, who are desperate to try to get in and have people like me and like you said, my in-laws and, and my mother and all kind, and friend, lots of my friends and family who are advocating on, on behalf of uh, on these persecuted Christians. I mean, you know, when you're a Christian, right, we know Jesus tells us, right, know that if they hate you, they hated me first, right? We're going to endure these difficult things. But that doesn't mean the rest of us sit by, you know, as spectators and just kind of watch what's going on. At some point, we have to defend them because sooner or later, we're going to be in the barrel and there's not going to be anybody to defend us. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think... Um worshiping alongside of a lot of these Pakistani Catholics while I lived in Thailand, it really opened my eyes to recognize them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think a lot of times when we in the West, we think about people in other parts of the world that are poorer than, than us and, and where there is uh, a lot more at stake for practicing our faith, um, you know, we, we, we tend to think that, you know, we're the ones who can bless them by sending them money or maybe trying to help them to improve their, their lot in life. But I, I really ultimately have the, the, alternate uh, impact living in Thailand, where I was just so tremendously blessed by these people. Um, I mean, they, <laughs> you know, they're, here they are, you know, living uh, as asylum seekers in a country not their own, um, not only having suffered at the hands of Muslim extremists, but now enduring all kinds of trouble from, you know, Thai police authorities. And yet, you know, they're praying for me and my wife with all kinds of different prayer requests that we, that we give to them, right? And, and they care about my wife's celiac disease and making sure that she it's uh, communion on Sunday. I mean, it was, it was a tremendous blessing and it rec- it helped me to see that, um, yeah, we, we need to view the persecuted church um, as, as our brothers and sisters in Christ so that, you know, when we go to communion, we can remember them. We can unite, you know, our, our prayers 
to their prayers and their sufferings um, before Christ. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think that the more that we do that uh, and, and really make sort of a spiritual communion of it and, and devote our prayers to it, the more that we will recognize them as, as those who are um, certainly deserving not only of our prayers, but all the help that we can muster. Yeah, I mean, just for trying to love Jesus and live the live out the Gospels and share the Gospels. Oh, by the way, all of us are called to do that, right? None of us are supposed to, oh, the Gospels are for me and I'm just going to hold it to myself, right? We're to go out the whole, to the whole world and tell the good news, which is Jesus Christ, which, and if you're living in Pakistan or many of these countries, whether they're communist or, you know, Muslim, where they impose Sharia law, I mean, you're... Every day, your life is hanging in the balance. Well, it just goes to show, too, how you know remarkable and inspired we should be by people like this that are willing to live their faith and speak the truth. I mean, in, in the case of Michael D'Souza and also uh, you know Wilson William, my other friend and his family, you know, they, it's not like they were walking around Karachi, you know, handing out um, uh, you know pamphlets about Christ or whatever. They they were trying to mind their own business, but yet um, trouble found them. And they and but they they held their ground and they were willing to um, profess their faith in Christ and, and they weren't willing to compromise on that. So certainly Christians that continue to live in these communities need our prayers and our financial support and uh, and, you know, raising awareness about this because they're the only ones left that are still preaching the gospel in these places. And even though, yes, it's a crime to com- to convert from Islam to Christianity in most of these Muslim countries. Uh, you know, people would be surprised the kinds of things that go on under the surface, right? Like uh, I have a friend um, in, uh, in, in, who works at a monastery in Lebanon, and he told me a story about how even all the Muslim women, that when they really have a prayer request that they want answered, they go to the Marian shrine in their community, right? They, because they know if they really want the prayers answered, you go to Mary. Um, so we don't, we don't recognize the power of the gospel, um, even... Uh, you know, when there's very few Christians left in these societies. And, you know, I mean, the Lord and the Eucharist are able to affect tremendous, miraculous, uh, you know, blessings to these people in these communities. Um, you know, if, if we can, if they can hold on. Well, and, you know, to hold on, and you, you know, you go into your book, and I think it was Wilson Williams, I can't remember, where you guys, or maybe it was your in-laws, gave money for them to buy like a rickshaw so he could almost have like a little taxi service. They found him and just beat the hell out of him. Yeah, that was Michael D'Souza. So after he, we paid to fly him back to Pakistan with his family, they had been in a Thai detention center and they were all getting sick and it was a really bad situation. Um, yeah, and we, we funded this you know motorized rickshaw. To very, it's basically the way that most people get around in a taxi in Karachi. Um, and uh, yeah, the same Muslim extremists who had been bothering him um, years before identified him. And, uh, yeah, pulled him out of that rickshaw, beat him almost to death um, on St. Patrick's Day of 2018, and, yeah, torched his um, taxi. Yeah, basically destroying the only form uh, of, uh, of money, that, uh, of income that he had. And to this day, Michael and his wife, Rosemary, and his three children basically live under self-imposed house arrest in a suburb of Karachi. You know, I mean, in a way, COVID has been a strange blessing because everyone's now wearing masks in Karachi, so... They can go out and get groceries and other things like that, and people don't recognize him. But um, I mean, yeah, good grief. Uh, the yeah, the the amount of, of of trials that he has under had to undergo um, for the sake of Christ is uh, it's 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 harrowing. It's and, and it is inspiring too. 
Well, and we need to remember, you know, martyr means witness. And we, you know, we read about the martyrs of the church, right? And we're in awe, whether it's, you know, a St. Cecilia. We, you know, just recently we celebrated you know, Blessed Miguel Pro and what happened in Mexico. Um, you know, we're all called to be these witnesses and martyrs, potentially red or white, depending on, you know, what the Lord has in store for us. We need to see the people living today in that same light, don't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, in many cases, the, the things that um, Christians in, uh, in, in certainly in Muslim parts of the world are having to endure, they look a lot like the stories of the early church. And in many cases, what's being um, presented to them is, is not all that different. You know, like it just as the early mar- martyrs, oftentimes it was, look, you know, you can continue to maintain whatever you want to do in your the, the, the safety and privacy of your own home. But in the public square, just make this little offering to Caesar or to the Roman gods, you know, just just make the little incense offering. Right. And in the same way, I, there's a lot of pressure on these Christians, even from international Western international humanitarian organizations. They just just convert to Islam or just or just go through the motions out in the public square and you can still be a Christian at home. But these Christians understand that, you know, especially as Catholics, right, that our we can't separate our bodies and our souls. We can't separate what we do in private from what we do in public. Um, that that uh, yeah, that, that, that we are you know, we're corporeal beings. And because of that, um, yeah, we can't compromise on that. We have to be faithful to Christ uh, with our words and our actions, um, whether in private or in public. Well, and all you have to do is read Maccabees, right, where you know, just just eat the pork, right? And then everything will be fine. Or, you know, betray your faith just for the sake of saving your life, but go ahead and live it, right? And they wouldn't do it because of their faith and their love for the Lord. And we need to be the same way. I mean, this, you may look at things that happened thousands of years ago, and we think we're so much more advanced and geez, we're living the same type of thing. Yeah, well, human nature, unfortunately, has not changed in all that time. Uh, so no. I think I think that probably explains a lot of it. But you think thank God also that the gospel and the redemptive power of Christ also has not changed. Well, I mean that's that's what we hang our hat on, right? We we're, we're visitors in this world, no matter how ugly it can get. And if we give up our faith just to save our physical hides, then we're going to be uh, you know called to a place pretty hot, and it's not going to be too fun. We're going to think this world was a picnic. That's right. Well, I think that's what motivates a lot of uh, the Pakistani Christians that I met um, during my time in Thailand is they realize what's at stake here. Um, You know, that it's not just about their material welfare, but their spiritual as well. Um, And uh, and they don't want to betray their Lord. Their Lord has um, not only saved them, but taken care of them, provided for them, um, you know, given them the the spiritual nourishment that has uh, helped them through so many trials already in, in the years that they've lived in, in Muslim countries like Pakistan. Um, so yeah, they, they see what's at stake and uh, thank God for them. They're willing to be faithful to it. I pray that they continue to be so. I know it's not easy. And I know I, if placed in a similar circumstance, I, I'm, I'm sure I would endure many temptations to just want to give up as well. So it, it, all the more reason we need to be praying for them. Well, we're down just uh, you know a couple three minutes to go. If somebody's re- you, you, obviously we want people to read the book to find out what's really going on in the world. But what do you hope the action steps are for people who read this and are you know and and you know see it the same way we do in terms of this is terrible. I need to do something. What is it that something they need to do? Oh, well, there's plenty of ways um, that folks 
can can help um, the persecuted church. There are various ways that they can give money. The Knights of Columbus um, has a program that I, I mentioned in my book for um, persecuted Christian communities, as does the uh, USCCB uh, raises money um, for them as well. Apart from that, um, like I mentioned, you know, buy a copy of my book and get it to your local political representative, right? Raise awareness regarding it. Um, try to do a, an event at your church, right? Whether it's having a mass said, doing a special novena for the persecuted church, inviting a speaker to come in and speak about it. I mean, there's plenty of um, the people that have, that have uh, emigrated from uh, Muslim countries and are practicing their Catholic faith now in the West, you know, have them come and give a talk or, or do something uh, to share the message. And so we can get, get this narrative out there uh, and help the rest of the United States to recognize how terrible of a problem it is. Um, so that, yeah, hopefully we can get some traction and bring not just m- uh, my friends, the D'Souza's and, uh, and uh, the, the Williams to, uh, to the United States, but, uh, but many more besides. Well, I think having a speaker is a great idea because then you get a firsthand account of what people are experiencing. Is there a network or a way to, to find where these speakers are? Is there like a network here in the United States where they, you know, get together and kind of help each other through and, and, and during the transition or how would they find a good speaker? So while the, um, Islamic State controlled a lot of Iraq and Syria. I know that there were um, Iraqi and Syrian Christian organizations that were raising a lot of awareness. I don't have um, the URLs off the top of my head on that, but I know that they were doing a lot of speaking tours across churches in the the United States. So that would be one place to start. Um, Apart from that, the Barnabas Fund, and it's not actually a Catholic organization. I'm familiar with it from my time as an evangelical. They do speaking events all over the place. Patrick Sagadeo, their founder, is a he's actually a convert from Islam to Christianity based out of the UK. But I heard him speak um, in McLean, Virginia, not far from where I live, uh, a, a long time ago. And I know that him and uh, a lot of the folks affiliated with the Barnabas Fund continue to do speaking all over the United States regarding the persecuted church. How can people follow what you're doing or if they have a follow up or any questions? Is there any way for people to, you know, follow you on a, on a website or how, how can they track what you're doing? Sure. My website is my name, caseychalk.com. Uh, uh, yeah, folks can go there. There's a place that they want to reach out and contact and I'm more than happy to, um, you know, yeah, to talk about my book um, or anything else. I do a lot of writing, uh, as you mentioned, Deacon Jeff, for various publications. So uh, yeah, always happy to get feedback and, and certainly prayers too, as I'm trying to, you know, raise awareness of the persecuted church. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.